You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Those of uh, you this morning who are listening online, with people listening throughout uh, North America, Europe, and Asia, and uh, if you're not in Australia but you're listening to us, welcome. Great to have you with us here in Centro Church this morning. Um, a, a captain on the bridge of uh, a U.S. naval destroyer noticed off in the distance a light and recognized they were headed on a collision course. So he singled off into the night, as they do. Uh, move your vessel 10 degrees to the south. And the reply came back. You move your vessel 10 degrees to the north. Well, the captain on the bridge was a little angry, the fact that uh, they would listen to someone of his great authority, so he... He, he signaled back, I am the captain, I'm telling you move 10 degrees to the south. There was a message back, I'm a seaman thir- third class, you move 10 degrees to the north. Well, the captain now, I mean, he's, he's, uh, he's angry, he's cranky, he's seeing red. He signals back, I am the captain of a U.S. naval destroyer. You move 10 degrees to your south. The message came back. Well, I'm a lighthouse keeper. (laughs) I'm suggesting you move 10 degrees to the north. (laughs) And the point behind the joke is quite significant. In life, understand what the lighthouses are and move in accordance with them you know something you know a lot of christians do a lot of christians oh god move the lighthouse (laughs) when god put the lighthouse there we want the world to shift and to move to uh, um, uh, so that we can have what's convenient for us so that we can have what we want and and you know in life the lighthouses are this you might want to write this down folks the lighthouses are the God-ordained principles of life. You either work with the God-ordained principles of life or your life will be wrecked on the rocks of those principles. If those principles are large enough, they will inevitably bring a cost into your world. In fact, I'll even take it as far to say this. Let me say this. That if you're experiencing pain in some area of your life this morning, Maybe uh, you've come here this morning and there is something going on in your world that is undermining your joy. There's a pain, there's a suffering there. Can I suggest to you that most probably the issue is this, that there is a principle, a God-ordained law, if you will, that you're not submitting to that you are not giving way to and, and we think you see we, we in, in modernity in modern society this is what we believe we believe because of our science our money and our power that we do not have to submit to godly principle that we can navigate our way over the top of them and i'm here to tell you this morning that every time you think that it costs you something there is a part of your soul that is destroyed. 
And yet we as a society continue to believe that with technological advancements and with increase in prosperity, that we can have our cake and eat it, that we can live as we want to live and mitigate the consequences, somehow subdue the outcomes and, well, as long as nobody knows and as long as, you know, um, nobody observes, everything's going to be okay. What I want to do this morning is we're going to delve into a, uh, a parable of Jesus that uh, is interesting to say the least. As a matter of fact, I wouldn't mind suggesting that some way through this parable this morning, some of you will, will, will find this quite shocking. Some of you will start backpedaling. This, when we get halfway through this, some of you are going to almost not believe that this is in the Bible. That, that's, how, that's how counterintuitive it actually is. But having said that, it is so shocking that um, Jesus interprets it himself. He doesn't leave it to you and to idea. What's he talking about? Because this is what we're about to read is so shocking that then Jesus gives us the principle. And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that whilst I have no doubt you'll be shocked by the story, I, I, I am asking you then to lean in. That, let, let that grab your attention so you lean into the principle. Because if you don't grab the principle, the principle will destroy you. What I'm about to tell you is a lighthouse. You now have the choice to move your life 10 degrees to the north or whatever, to adjust your life so that you navigate the lighthouse or continue to take a direction in accordance with your own kind of perspective on life, if you will, and let the lighthouse destroy you. Let's have a look and get ready for the twist. Luke chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus tells this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his bosses, his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you're fired. There we have it right from the beginning. <laughs> so you got this rich guy, right? He's off playing golf, whatever rich guys do. He's got so much stuff that he's got people who are managing it for him, stewards, if you will, people who have taken his resources, who've been given his resources, that they might increase them. Now, this particular guy has done a pretty shoddy job. He hasn't done a good job. And so he's been fired. The manager thinks to himself, now what? I'm being fired, right? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches. I'm too proud to beg. And then his creative juices, motivated by the crisis, start to flow. And he comes up with this cunning plan. Why don't you come up with a plan like this? He says, oh, I know how to ensure that I have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. I, 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 I figured out a way so that I'll be able to survive once my weekly income from my boss is taken from me. Listen to his cunning plan. <laughs> so he invites each person, right, because he's a, he's a manager, each person who owed money to his employer, come and discuss the situation. The first one he brings in, he says, uh, how much do you owe my boss? Because 
you know, he's, this is a business. There's been transactions going on and there's a debt there. How much do you owe my boss? And he says, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. Now, I don't know how many of you have, have ever tried to uh, get oil out of an olive. 800 gallons of olive oil, that's, this is a large amount. This is no small thing. 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager says, here, take the bill quickly and change it to 400. Let's just forget about 400. Just wipe it off. It doesn't exist. Oh, that's fantastic. So he does it. Oh, that's brilliant. I only owe 400. That's just saved me a fortune. And he brings in another one and says, how much do you owe my employer? He says, I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat. Again, this is a substantial amount. He says, quick, here, give, give, give me the receipts. So he gives him the paperwork and changes the bill and says, make it 800 bushels. Now, you could imagine Jesus is telling this parable to his disciples. You could imagine what's going on in their mind as they're listening to this um, cunning, this, this kind of off-center story. Because in all Jesus' parables, and everybody knows this, but just to bring you up to speed, in all these parables, somebody, normally it's the boss, represents God. So clearly the guy who's, the, uh, who's done the firing, that's God. The guy who's, who was fired, somebody normally represents, you know, us, the followers of God, humans, people. And so the, 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 the steward, the one who was being entrusted with the resources, that's clearly somebody here. Now, it wouldn't be me because I wouldn't behave like that, and it's probably not you, right? Because you wouldn't do something like this. This must be one of those tax collector types, one, one, one of those devious kind of, you know, low-type characters. And so they'll be thinking to themselves, boy, if I'd been sacked because of my performance, bad performance at work, the boss has called me in and said, I'm not up to scratch, you're fired. And then I went out and I diddled the boss. Then I went out and stole from him, right? You would be thinking right now, this man is about to be shredded, correct? I mean, this is so contrary to the rules and to the principles and to the ideals that you'd expect Jesus to be communicating. And so his audience would be expecting him to just about talk, you know, we're to this point now, okay, he's being caught. This is a made-up story. This didn't actually happen. Jesus uses these made-up stories to communicate principles. But clearly everybody's kind of shocked the fact that Jesus would even talk about someone behaving like this. And he says in verse 10, the rich man had to admonish. Well, no, that's not what it says at all, is it? <laughs> that's what you'd be expecting, isn't it? Right? The rich man, you dirty, rotten scoundrel. How dare you steal my things? I'm getting rid of you sooner rather than I should have sacked you years ago. Now, listen to what he says. The rich man had to admire? <laughs> what? To admire the dishonest rascal? <laughs> For being so shrewd? You mean to tell me that the, the rich man, that God in the story, right, is looking at the behavior of this dishonest servant and is going, oh, you're pretty clever. 
Right on. I like that. But you can appreciate that there's a little, in fact, some of you right now are looking at me a bit weird. <laughs> Say, well, what are you suggesting? Are you suggesting that we all go and, and no, I'm not suggesting this. And, and, and uh, look, uh, I'd be angry at the guy, wouldn't you? I, I, I'm a little ticked at him. I'd be thinking, but it says, this was, I don't make this stuff up. You should go and read your Bible. I mean, this stuff's in there. This is crazy, right? The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true. Jesus goes on and makes this profound observation, which I, I, I spoke a little bit about this last week from the Barnard Institute. If you weren't here, Barnard Institute, which is a, a large um, Christian uh, research uh, organization in America, found out that uh, something that we kind of, kind of most of us would have known, that the divorce rate in, is the same in the church and outside of the church, but uh, it was lowest amongst, amongst hardline atheists. It was 28% as opposed to 50% within the church. And, and the reason for that was that the people in the church, they just, oh, well, you know, you're a Christian, you can't leave me. That kind of attitude. You know, you have to stay because the Bible says you do. And, and, and when the, the, his, his research found that atheists said, well, no, we actually have to try and figure out what's wrong so because we, we don't believe in God's going to solve our problems, so we've actually got to solve it ourselves. That seems to be almost what he's alluding to here, where he says the children of this world are shrewder in their dealings uh, with the world around than those children of light. Those who are in the world are shrewder in dealing with the, the world around them than those who are the children of light. And then he takes us on through these three very powerful lenses upon which you are to view the world around you. These are principles. Right? You can either choose to embrace these principles or these principles will destroy you. That's, that's the way it is. These, this, this, what we're about to find is how God views resources, how God sees the world around us, what you possess, what you own, uh, your, your car, your house, your clothes, your, your finances. If you don't see this the way God sees it, right, it will come back and bite you. This is the principle. This is God's view of stuff. And if you don't, you all view stuff, you all have a, a lens through which you see your material possessions. Jesus has just shocked us out of the water, woken us up with this, this, this crazy parable about how God kind of has given a thumbs up to a dishonest, shrewd servant. But then he, he, he's opening us up to some principles that are, that are supposed to change the way we see the things that we possess. And he leads us straight into it. He doesn't muck around. He's given us the story, and now, bam, here comes the principles. He says, use worldly resources to benefit others and to make friends. Well, that guy clearly did that. He benefited others. He went to the guy who was in debt to his boss, and he halved his debt. Use your resources to benefit others. And then this is crazy. Look what he says next. This is crazy. Then... When your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome. When are your earthly possessions gone? I'll tell you when that happens. When you die. When you die, you have no more earthly possessions. 
Do you know how much everybody leaves the same amount when they die? And that, of course, is everything. <laughs> you take nothing with you when you leave this earth. And, you know, sometimes we like to think we're here forever, but the truth is the day is coming. And, and Jesus says, in that moment, when you welcome him to your, when you enter into your eternal home, they will be there to welcome you. Isn't that crazy? They will be there to welcome you. It's kind of like, it's kind of like you use your resources to get people to heaven. And those people who get to heaven because of your resources know that. And, and they're going to be there. And they're going to be clapping you as you enter in through heaven's gates. Well, isn't that a crazy, crazy concept? But, but, but here is, here's the big idea. If you want to write something down, it's that. It's this. It's that your, um, your resources are a tool. Now, in my other job as a home handyman, uh, which I excel at, just ask me. Uh, don't talk to anybody else, particularly my wife, but ask me. But anyway, uh, I've, I've discovered that it's amazing when you use a tool for its designed purpose, how much further you get. If, if you don't believe me, right, go home, go into your kitchen or into your tool shed, right, and maybe take out a, um, take out a, can, opener, a can opener and try to squeeze an orange and see how you go with that. It just doesn't work, does it, right? There, there's a particular device to squeeze an orange. There's a particular device to open a can. And if you use one to do the other, it's not going to function for you, is it, right? Because you're not using the tool for its design purpose. Get a plunger and try to undo a bolt. Trying to undo a bolt with a plunger, it's not going to work for you, is it? doesn't matter how much you try, doesn't matter how much effort you put into it, doesn't matter how long you stay there, try to undo a bolt with a plunger because there's a specific purpose in which something is designed. What Jesus has just told us is incredibly powerful, that the resources you have are designed for a purpose. And if you want to get the most out of them, then you'll use them for the purpose to which they are designed. And the purpose is to get people to heaven. That's the reason we have stuff. Now, now you might say, well, well, how does that work? I've got stuff. Oh, he, here's how this works, right? If you've got a car, maybe you could bring people to church, Peter Hill, in your car. There would be a good idea. Use your car because it's a resource. You think you've got your car to get you to work. You think you've got your car to take you to, the, you know, to your sport or take you to where, where, whatever it is that you do. But, but what Jesus has just told us here is that, no, you have your stuff. So you can leverage your stuff to get people to heaven. That's the reason it's existing. That's the, the, the design behind the tool. And you either accept this or you continue to, to use it to, you know, displease yourself. But, but, but this Jesus has said, take the stuff you have and use it to make friends for yourself so that when you get to heaven, they're there receive you that's the reason you have stuff the reason you have a house I mean is, is to open your house up it's not just to occupy your family it's not just to give you a warm place to sleep and a place to bathe and eat uh, no it, the reason you have a house is so that you can open it up make friends with people to get them to heaven that's why we have what we have 
The reason we have finances is to build eternity. I, I, when I was a kid, I used to go to a youth group, and this boy, this boy, he was, you know, I thought he was an old guy, but he's probably about 23 or 4. But uh, he used to pick me up in the E.H. Holden and take me to youth group. Every, every Friday night, he'd come with his E.H. Holden, he'd pick me up and take me to youth group. What was he was using that E.H. Holden, which wasn't a particularly old car back then. Some of you got no idea what one looks like, but it doesn't matter. But uh, it's an old car now. But back when I was, you know, 14 or 15, it wasn't so old. And uh, he'd pick me up in his E.H. Holden, and, uh, and he'd take me to youth group every Friday night. And what was he doing? He was leveraging his assets to get people to heaven. That's what he was doing. He was using the tools that God had given him for the purpose under which he had received them. And what you and I need to be is shrewd, creative. Think about what you have and ask yourself, how can I use these things for the reason they were given to me? Now, Everybody has finance, and next week we're going to be taking up our vision offering. And uh, one of the things we want to do with our vision offering is um, Dr. Robbie Sondrager, who some of you would have heard, he's an outstanding communicator. Um, he, he's a psychologist, he speaks all through Europe and all through the U US and Australia. And uh, we wanna, we're going to bring him here, we have to put more seats than that Sunday, we're going to have to bring him, we want to bring him, well, he's going to be here the second week of September. Um, what we want to do is we want to get clips of him speaking and his ideas. He's going to talk about um, family in the morning and mental health in the, in the evening. And we want to take what he has to say. We want to target market it on Facebook um, and uh, to, uh, you know, see if you can, you can design regions and all kinds of things so you get to the kind of people in this area uh, and uh, open that particular Sunday up to everybody and anybody who we can fit in the house. Now, this is only, you know, a, a few weeks away, really. Second week of September, August will go pretty quick. July's all but gone. So, uh, so we, we want to get on to this, this real quick. But, but this is going to cost money. So what you can do is you can take some money, put in the vision offering next week, and what that's going to do is going to help make this work and get people to heaven. Amen. Because that's one way you can take your resources and leverage it for the kingdom of God. He goes on further. And he says this, Jesus is applying this really, really bizarre teaching, right? Where the shrewd servant, the, the dishonest servant is almost given the, the thumbs up, it seems, by God. He goes on and says this. If you are faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large things. But if you're dishonest in little things, you'll almost think, well, this guy was being dishonest. But it's almost like Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The dishonesty... If you don't, when you don't use the thing for the reason it's given. I've given you stuff for a purpose and you dishonestly use it for something else. He says, if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with great responsibility. This sounds to me an awful lot like a test, doesn't it? It's like we've been given small and we're going to be tested. Because if you're faithful in small, you're going to be faithful in much. But if you're dishonest in small, then who's going to give you much? I'm not going to give you much. You just take what you've given and use it wisely, use it for its purpose, and then I will give you much. It's a test. How does God view our stuff? He views it as a tool, but He's also using it as a test. 
He's testing our hearts. He's testing us to see whether or not we can trust God. Now you might think, oh, it's a bit hard, it's a bit harsh, it's a bit rough. God's testing you. But you know something? You do it all the time. I do it all the time. We test each other all the time. You know how you do this? You drop something and you just see how they react, see how they respond. Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to determine how much you can trust that person. You do it with your children. You do it with your spouse. Well, if I say this, will I still be accepted? If I say that, will I still be loved? I can't go there with that person, so I'm not going there. I went there once and it didn't work, so I'm not going back. You do this all the time. You test how much you can trust the people in your world to determine how much of your heart you can actually share with them. Now, you might be sitting here this morning and saying to me, oh, well, I'm an honest person. I'm a trustworthy person. You know, I, I don't lie and I don't cheat and I'm faithful to my spouse. And praise God, that's, that's not bad. But isn't that how the world sort of tests its leaders? You know, that, that, that's kind of how the world will say, well, you know, w whether we will allow that person a position of responsibility over us. Do you think God has the same test? Do you think God's expectations are the same as a secular community? Or do you think God takes this one step further? God is testing us. He's testing us to see how much of himself he can share with us. It's a test to see whether or not we use it for the reason he gives it to us. You know, we talk sometimes about having faith in God, you know, have faith in God, trust God. Maybe we don't talk enough about how much God trusts us. Because clearly God loves us all the same. Uh, there is no delineation in regards to the love of Christ. Uh, he loves all mankind, you know. Uh, the, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. Everybody in the world, that whosoever within that world wants to believe in Him, he will not perish and have everlasting life. God so loved that He gave. He loves everybody the same. Make no mistake about it. This has got nothing to do with how much God loves you. But it wouldn't be fair to say He trusts everybody the same. Because He tests us to see whether or not we've passed the test. And, 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 the, and the beauty, you might go, well, I don't like that. Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. How many of you used to be at school? Don't put your hands up because it's everybody. And how did you get out of school? Eventually, you passed the test. See, every time you passed the test, you went to a higher grade. Then you passed that test, then you went to a higher grade. Then you passed that test, then you went to a higher grade. This is life. Life's all about dealing with the circumstances that are before us in such a way that then allows us to move to a higher level, to a greater position of trust, to a greater level of responsibility. To use his terms, if you are faithful in little, then I will, you will graduate. Well, when did you graduate at school? When you passed the test. When do you graduate in God? When you pass the test with little, then you shall be given much. A fellow by the name of Jeff Davis did a biography of the Duke of Wellington. What he said was rather profound, I thought. He said, I found an old account ledger. This was some time ago, obviously. 
that showed how the Duke spent his money. It was a far better clue as to what he actually thought as opposed to reading his speeches. <laughs> his speeches said one thing, but this guy, Jeff Davis, found by looking at his ledger, I found where his real values lied. And I believe that that's exactly what Jesus is getting at here. The reason why one-sixth of the Gospels, including one in every three parables, touches on the concept or the idea of stewardship. We're dealing here with a steward, one person who was given what, the, what he had by his boss or by his authority. Everything we have is given to us by our God. He doesn't own a tent. He owns it all. It is all his. And the question is, what do we do with it? And that's the reason why Jesus spent so much time dealing with this matter. It's a tool. It has a reason. Make friends for yourself with unrighteous mammon. Make friends with yourself, with your resources, so that when you get to heaven, they will be there to receive you. That's the reason you have it. It's a test to see whether or not you use the tool for the reason I've given you those tools. And if you do, if you're faithful in, in, in the small, then I can increase. Then you can be faithful in much. He goes on and says this, and he was untrustworthy about worldly wealth in verse 11. And if you were untrustworthy about worldly wealth, he's getting to the, to, to the sharp end here. Who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? I'm going to play a little bit of a game here, and I'm, I need you to feed back, feed back to me. If you buy a pair of shoes with a swoosh down the side, you are wearing right. If I have a red can of soft drink with a white dynamic ribbon i am drinking a very good if you go to the football you know a, a couple of weeks ago and, and you see some funny person walking around with a with a uh, uh, with a blue sort of uh, wig on and sort of blue hair you know <laughs> he's a bit crazy you know <laughs> you know you know he's barracking for the wrong team exactly yes well what i'm simply making here is that brands tell you who you belong to and what i reckon jesus has just told us here is what you do with your riches it says where you belong um, back in the day a brand uh, it comes from um uh the concept of, of cattle. Remember, you know, cattle is a brand. You, they put a, a mark on a cow. And what that would say is who that cow belonged to. It was a brand. So you would brand the cattle. And of course, the concept has grown today. And now, of course, you know, brands are a big, big deal. And, and everybody has their brand. And it kind of creates a community. And, and uh, the concept behind a brand is not just that says who made it. No. The concept behind the brand is actually, it says who you belong to. I belong to this group. This is the group. This is my people. These are my people. And uh, I want to suggest to you that your, uh, that your use of resources, your expenditure, reveals where you actually belong. Where you actually belong. 
Paul said this, he said, finally in Galatians 6 verse 17, let no one cause me trouble for I bear in my body the marks or the brand of Jesus Christ. So Paul was branded in his body the marks of Jesus Christ. He was saying, you can tell I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, just have a look at my back, I'll take my shirt off and you can see the brand, I'm I'm the brand Jesus. (laughs) That's what he's saying here. Look at me and you can tell I belong to Jesus. I've got these whip marks all over my back here. I heard, heard one preacher once say that if Paul walked in heaven backwards, the angels would recognize him uh, because he was branded on his back for Jesus Christ. Now here's the truth. Most of us in this room will never wear the marks of Jesus on our body, but we can and we should wear the marks of Jesus on our wallet, on our finances, on our resources. Your resources should carry the mark of Jesus Christ. Jesus goes on and he says this, no man can serve two masters. Maybe you've heard this. And this is the context This is what he was driving at. No man can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other. And that is so true. You will hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and inevitably despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You know, if you love anything in this world more than God, it'll inevitably be crushed under the weight of your expectations. If you love your spouse more than God, you're crushing them under your expectation you're expecting this from them and that from them that you can only get from god if you are loving things in your life more than you love god then you are needing to acquire more and more and more and more things because you crush them you get that and it gives you a sense of identity you know a sense of success a sense of I've made it, but soon it's crushed. You've got to find something else. And you go on this endless kind of pursuit of, of, of we talked about of upgrades and experiences to somehow satisfy what is within me. Jesus, he, he rounds off this teaching by, by saying, by, by oh, I should say, uh, Luke rounds this off by giving us some insight into how this has gone down in the audience how the people who have heard what Jesus has just said, because this was a really weighty piece of teaching. This, got every, this caught everybody off, off guard. Nobody was expecting Jesus to take us here. And, and you can tell by Luke's uh, description of how some in the audience heard it. Listen, let's, let's look. He says this, the Pharisees who dearly love their money, they're religious people just by the way, the religious people, who actually loved their money, heard this and scoffed at him. And I think the reason why Luke put that there is because he knew that down the, down the track, in the future, people would read this. He was keeping an account of what Jesus was saying. And he noted the scoffing that came from certain people. And I wonder if he thought to himself, you know, I reckon when people look at this in the future, some people will scoff at it. 
So I'm going to write down what kind of people do that. The Pharisees, <laughs> those who love their money, they're the ones who are scoffing. How did he know that these people loved money? Had he got into their heart? Had he given some kind of test? No, he's responding to what he can see. He can see on the faces of the audience of those who are watching people scoffing. And it so struck him that he had to record that, you know something, this teaching is so in your face that many people cannot receive it and they scoff at it. And so he marked that down. Those who love money and religious people, often they're the same. They scoff at this teaching. And I wonder how it sits with you this morning. I wonder if you think to yourself, oh, that's rubbish. Uh, it, that better move out of my life 10 degrees because I'm not changing my current trajectory. I'm not changing my perspective. I'm comfortable with my value system and I'm confident in the way I've got it set up. I'm not changing for this. I'm scoffing at it. And you can choose that direction if you wish. You can think, well, that can move because I'm not moving and the consequences, they will be yours to deal with. Your resources, your finance, it's a tool, it's a test, but ultimately, ultimately it's a mark, it's a trademark, it's, it's a brand. Ultimately, it shows you where you belong, reveals something of our inner nature. Um, I wonder if you were to adjust your life 10 degrees. I wonder if that would have changed any decisions that you've made in the last 12 months or two months. Or, or even I wonder if it would change any decision that you'll make in the next two weeks. I, I wonder if there is a real specific application for this. That I've got to use what I've got, my house, my car, resources, when I buy a ticket, maybe I could buy two. When I, how, however that might look for you, I, I can take a, a, a section of my income and I can, can give it to the purposes of, of the body of Christ and the kingdom of God. I wonder if you didn't think upgrades and experiences, but you thought influence and legacy. This is influence and legacy for you. Use your finance to influence others so that there might be a legacy for you in heaven. <laughs> the whole way through this, we've been talking about, it's either upgrades and experiences. That's how the world views finance. Oh, I can get this new, that, I can upgrade this, I can get myself a new, car, new, a new house, a new car, a new face, a, <laughs> a new spouse, whatever. Uh, I can afford anything I want. You know, I've just won lotto now. I've got, you know, millions of dollars. I can do whatever I want. Or, or do I think, influence and legacy it seems to me that Jesus just hit, hit it out of the park the influence and legacy right there live your life for influence and legacy
Thank you for listening to this podcast.